Hey, good morning. Hey, it's sweet to be here with you guys today. And everybody got that first service. That's how I expected it to go. Like, it's just more like the first service. I'm like, back. Anyways, um, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. And you just need to know, we don't want there to be too many inside jokes around here. I'm a huge uh, Razorback uh, basketball fan. And so anytime the Razorbacks doing something great in basketball, there's always going to be some display of that. And there's a lot of talk. There's this pair of red and white striped overalls that I have that I'll wear to some games. A lot of talk, like, when do we get to see that? And it's like, I was talking with the Brain Trust a little last night. It's like, no, I mean, it's Final, it's final Four. So if you want to just take your energy and your heart and your passion and put it into rooting for them this week, then you'll have a special surprise for you next Sunday. But for now, it's just another great, awesome Red Pants uh, Sunday. So we are really glad you're here. Again, if you're new, I apologize. If you're online, I'm sorry. This is how it is from November until early April, and then we can be normal. So if you have been around the last couple of weeks, we are doing a series. It was called on the, it's kind of the Upper Room Discourse, where uh, Jesus is, is there with his followers. And it says, he's up there, if you, if you know this, the, um, he has the Last Supper there with them. And then John, the narrator, is describing kind of what's going on through, in Jesus' mind. He's like, you know... He was thinking about that he's about to be arrested, that he's about to die. He's thinking about how much he loves his, um, his disciples, thinking about what it's going to be like for them when he's gone. And, and, and this, this, these passages are kind of what come out of that. So if we want to just keep overusing sports metaphors, it's a little bit like a pregame speech is what he's doing, right? It's like you're about to play the big game. And, and, and it is where he's like, listen, you guys are about to be on your own. I've been here with you, you've been following me, but now you're about to go and you've got this big job ahead of you. And he understands what's about to happen. He knows that what's going to happen is they're going to, that this huge worldwide movement is about to happen. When Jesus died, there was like maybe like a core of 70 followers and it is about to explode. And he knows that they're going to be sad, that they're going to be upset, they're going to be concerned, and they're not going to know what to do. And they've got this big thing that's about to happen to them. And he's like, I mean, these are the things that you need, I need, that I need to get across to them in order for them to be who they need to be to kind of to lead this movement and, 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 to, and to follow me after I'm gone. And, and it's an interesting kind of blend of things that Jesus is talking about here. And, and we've talked about this before, like it, it kind of starts with a lot of just kind of foundational truths, things that you, you need to believe, like just kind of the foundational truths about who God is, who Jesus is, how does one have access to God. And then from that, these kind of these really important theological truths, there's what God does on the inside of you, how God's going to transform you, the character that he's developing in you. And then from that comes all the things that we're supposed to do. And a lot of times we spend, uh, I think, too much time um, thinking, talking as Christians about the things that we're supposed to do, but we don't, we don't build that foundation well of kind of the things, the true things that we need to make sure that we believe. And we don't spend enough time talking about this inward thing that God needs to do in us. We just go straight to the things that we're supposed to do. And as Jesus is kind of unfolding, kind of talking about all these different things, we'll see him, he's spending a lot of time, actually, on these core truths that we need to understand, and then kind of this inward life that we need to have. 
And then from that, eventually, he's going to talk about some more of the things that we want to do. But that's where he's spending most of his time. And so we're going to kind of catch up to where, um, where we are in the story. Again, Jesus is thinking about his disciples. He's thinking he's about to die. These are things that they need to know after I'm gone. And the first thing that he does is he washes all of his disciples' feet. And he uses this. He kind of uses it for two different things. It's first of all, as an illustration of, hey, if you don't let me clean you, you can't be with me. This kind of this, this foreshadowing of his death and his sacrifice of like, I'm going to die for your sins so you can be clean. And you need to let me clean your feet as well. But then he also uses as as, as an example of, listen, I'm I'm the Lord, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm with you as a servant. And if I'm going to be like that, you need to be like that. You need to be servants. Again, this kind of inward life. He doesn't give them a list of things that they're supposed to do. He says, this is who you need to be. You need to have a servant heart inside of you. And so then he goes from there, and there's this verse that we talked about actually fairly recently, but not in this series, where he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. And again, talking about really our inward life. And loving is not a new command, but this, this thing that he was doing is like, I want our community, I want this community to be defined by the way that they love each other well. Again, an inward life, not things to do, but who you are. We are servants. We love well. This is who we are. And then he predicts his death, his betrayal. He's like, hey, I'm about to die, about to be arrested. This guy, one of you guys is going to betray me. All of you are going to deny me. And then they're really confused and they're hurt. And they're like, what is going on here? How, how can he die? How can he leave us? And then Jesus tries to assure them at the first part of John 14. This gets us to where we were last week. He tries to assure them and say, hey, hey, hey listen. Hey, listen, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to go to heaven and go to this place. I'm preparing a place for you. It's going to be great. I'm going to come back and get you. And it's totally fine because you know the way to get here. And they're like, I, we don't, actually, I don't know what you're talking about. They're, they're reeling kind of from Jesus talking about his death. Like, you say that we know the way. Please show us the way. And then Jesus says this, verse 6 and 7. This is part of our passage from last week. Verse 6. Jesus answered, they're asking him, show us the way to the Father. We don't know the way. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so last week, kind of one of the primary things we talked about is like, hey, show us the way to the Father. And he says, I am the way. He doesn't tell them about a path or things they need to do, things they need to believe. I don't know the way. I am the way. And then he says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And kind of in this list of kind of these really important theological truths that Jesus is trying to get across, he's like, hey, listen, the, the only hope this world has is me, through me. The only access to God is through me. And we were here last week, some people believe that like, God's at the top of a mountain. There's many paths to get up to this top of the mountain. But Jesus says, like, I'm, it's, just, it's just me. I, I am the way. It's me. And then he says something at the end, which is kind of weird, and we kind of skipped a little bit last week, but it was really more as foreshadowing for this week. Is that if you know me, you know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. It's like, so now like, you know God because you know me. 
And then he says this, and you've actually seen the Father because you have seen me. Now, again, after 2,000 years of Christian theological reflection, we may look and be like, yeah, okay, I, I, I see where Jesus is coming from here. Or you may look at this, I have no idea where he's coming from here. But you want to talk about confusion, confusion for these guys. And from now on, hey guys, guess what? You've seen the Father because you've seen me. Which can only, for a first century Jewish guy, can only bring confusion. And so that leads us to this, this passage um, starting in verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Which is a great question. So first it was Thomas that was talking, hey, we don't really know the way. And Jesus says, I'm the way. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's like, I mean, I know Moses kind of caught a glimpse of, of, of God once, like going past him on a rock there around the Exodus. No one's seen the Father, but you're saying we've seen him. Like, well, show us him then, because we don't really know what you're talking about. And so he's confused, and he's kind of speaking on behalf of all of them, really confused about what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is doing here, he's kind of building. We've kind of got this one foundational truth of that, that Jesus is our only hope to be reconciled to God. Now he's building on this to help them more fully understand who he is. And he says this in verse 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work, doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so there's a lot packed in there. And I don't know, he's got this, you know, Jesus says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen, you've seen the Father. And he's like, and Philip's like, show me the Father. And he's like, yeah, you got to understand. And he explains himself. I don't know if you read that and feel like he's explained anything. I don't know if you're like, okay, well, now does this make sense? But I would imagine that these guys are still really confused. They're still really confused because like, what, what is he talking about? They're still kind of reeling from this idea of Jesus saying that he's going to die, that one of them is going to betray him. They're all going to deny him. They're, they're just kind of reeling. And, and, and Jesus says this, and I can imagine kind of them just kind of being confused. But Jesus is really trying to communicate some really important theological truths to them that I can imagine a week from now, a few weeks from now, months from now, certainly a couple of years from now, that, 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 that they're going to have a deeper, more fuller understanding of what he's saying. But again, we've got the benefit of a little bit of uh, a significant amount of at least chronological distance from this. And we have a better opportunity to kind of reflect on really what I think are some very powerful things that Jesus is saying about who he is. Again, he's, he's saying this. He said it in verse 7, and he says it again later. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So we'll say it this way, that to see Jesus, to see Jesus is to see God. 
If you've seen Jesus, you have seen God. This is what he is saying to them. He's saying this, and so basically, some people like to look at this passage that Jesus is saying and, and kind of some ambiguity, some confusing language. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know what he's saying that he's actually God. He's not, he's not really saying that, except here's the thing. The people who heard him say this, the people who heard him say this, they, they had one of two reactions. The, the people who didn't like Jesus, their response was to pick up rocks. They always picked up rocks. Like, we got to kill this guy. He's a blasphemer. Every time he talks, he's saying that he's the same as God, and you can't, you can't say that. And the other people, his disciples, once they really kind of figured out what it was that he was really saying, they worshipped him. They didn't just follow him as a teacher. They worshipped him. So the people who heard him, who were the closest to him, who understood most what he was saying, like, this guy is claiming to be God. And when you say, to see me is to see the Father, and they say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, there's an equality there. He's not just saying, you know, God's ideas are in me or my heart is with the Father. He is saying we kind of have this reciprocal relationship like we're the we're the same and as as you know and 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 the way that this is described in christian theology is the full divinity of christ that jesus is 100 percent god we also understand that he was a man but we understand that it, whatever it is that god the father is jesus is that and and if we want to reflect a little bit on church history, and let's be honest, I mean, who doesn't, right? I mean, who's like, man, that's why I came here. I come to church today because I want to talk church history with this guy, right? The early church for the first couple of hundred years after Jesus was gone, is they're really trying to solidify and understand kind of and packaging together what is the Christian belief system. Their most serious debates when they were thinking about who Jesus is was whether or not he was actually a dude. The fact what he said, what he did, who he was, it was very obvious to them that he was God. But then they were like, okay, if he was God, could he really be a guy? Or was he just kind of pretending? He kind of was like God wearing a, a person costume. Or was he really human in the deepest sense of the, in the realest sense of that word? That was the debate that they were having. We, 2,000 years later, and we're all sciencey and smart, or at least we think we are, right? We're like, man, there's no way. Man, that's, that's a ridiculous thing. That's a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, it can't be, can't, can't be a person. can't be God. And so we, we create, you know, that, that can't be what he, what he meant. But the people who heard him, the people who knew him, knew he was making this claim. The people who experienced him the closest worship him because of their interaction, but not just what they said and what they saw. They worshipped him. And again, for the several generations of church history, the people who knew somebody, who knew somebody, who knew Jesus, they believed that he was God. And it is important for them. That's why Jesus is talking about it. And thus it's important for us. If we are going to be Christians, followers of Jesus, Christ followers, pick your expression that you use to describe it. They all and have Jesus or Christ in the name. If we're going to say that we follow him, we need to make sure that we are understanding who he 
really is. We don't want to follow, we won't want to believe in someone who is simply a shadow, a reflection, a false view of who he is. If we're going to follow him, let's follow him for who he is. And so when we see Jesus, when we experience Jesus, when we worship Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, whatever it is, it's, we're, we're seeing, we're talking, we're experiencing God. All right. And so he's going to spend some time kind of explaining, kind of a little defense, a little apologetic, a little kind of explaining of what this means and why they should believe it. And the first thing that he says, he starts talking about the things that he says. You say, show, he's like, Philip, you say, show you the Father. Have you, have you not been listening? So to see Jesus is to see God. And also, when you understand this, because he says what God says. So to see Jesus is to see God. And one of the reasons he gives for this, hey, I say the things that God says. He says what God says. And he's being very clear here, even if we want to insert some uncertainty into it. He's not saying that, that God has a message and he gives it to me and then I say the things. He's not talking about himself like he's a prophet. Like God tells me what to say and then I repeat it. Like, like prophets were, or the people who, who wrote the scripture, who are speaking what God is telling them to speak. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I say God thing. That's all I can say because we're the same. And that goes back to the passage we looked at last week. Hey, show us the way to the Father. I am the way. And the truth. I am the truth. Not I speak the truth. Not I always tell the truth. Not I am truthful. I am the truth. Truth is who he is. And if you're going to say that, you're not talking about like, again, you can say I am by and large a truthful person. I am always a truthful person. I try to speak the truth. When I understand this to be tr- these words to be truth, I am truth. I speak what God speaks. When I speak, God is speaking. And we need to be sure that this is exactly what he is claiming. And if you were here last week, we talked about this. That we, we're not left with the option that Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good teacher. He was a good man. He was, he was a good moral teacher, good leader, had a lot of really good things to say. He's a great example. That's, that's not a, that's not, we don't get that choice. And this was really constructed really well about 100-ish years ago by a guy named uh, C.S. Lewis, this great Christian author. He's a guy that wrote Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with that, but great, some great Christian books. And he had this argument, which has been... Uh, called the Lord Liar Lunatic Argument. So we've got this guy, Jesus, and he says very clearly that he is God. All right? If you say that, you've got a limited number of options of what to do with that person. He's either saying it, he really believes it, but it's not true. That's not a good teacher. That is someone who needs mental and emotional care. I don't want to say this really dismissively, but people who claim to be God and genuinely believe it, these are the people that we put in, in institutions, right? They, they, are, they are harmful. They, they, need, they need help of some kind. So if, you, if he says it and he believes it, but it's not true, he's not a good teacher, he needs help. But in addition to that, there are also people around today who say it. They say that they're God, or they, and you're like, and you know they don't really believe it. These are the people that start the cults, right? You're a liar. You're a manipulator. You're, you're a cult leader. 
You, are so, you're, you don't really believe this. You're just trying to accumulate followers and wealth for yourself. Those people are liars and they need to go to jail. Right? So if, you believe, if he believes it, it's not true, then he needs help. If he, if, he, if he says it and he knows it's not true, then he's a liar and should be cast aside. So Jesus says it. If it's not true, then one of those two things is true. He's just another person who needs mental help, or he's a liar deceiving people, or it is true. It is true. And we don't get to call him a good teacher. We have to worship him. He, he is God. And so this is what he's putting before us. And again, we, we see that the way that his contemporaries responded to him. We've got his disciples, his followers, they started worshiping him. We had people who called him crazy, people who called him demon-possessed, people who tried to kill him, and people who tried to put him in jail, and ultimately the people who did kill him. This person is dangerous. He is making dangerous claims. So we cannot minimize who Jesus is by saying he is just a good teacher. He is just a good moral example. He is a wise person. He is a prophet. By claiming to be God, he didn't leave us with that option. But he's saying, hey, listen, if you listen to what I'm saying, you'll know, you'll know that I'm from God because I speak God's truth. In fact, I am truth. But he goes on further than that and starts talking about the things that he does. Like, hey, if you don't want to believe the things that I say, believe the things that I do. Because if I do the things, the things that I do show you that I am from God. So to see Jesus is to see God. He says what God says, and he does what God does. And so here back in the passage, he says, Believe in me when I say I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And then he says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than that. So if you want evidence, you want evidence that I, I, I am the Father and to see me see the Father, look at the things I'm saying. The things that I'm saying are, are demonstrate because I am truth, and you see from what I'm saying, but also look at what I'm doing. And when you see the things that I'm doing... You should know that the Father and I are the same, that, that, I, that, that I am God. And then he says something really interesting. He says, you've seen all these great things that I do. And when you see these great things that I do, then you'll know. Then you'll know who I am. And then he goes a step further and says, and, and honestly, if, if you see what I do, they're going to be great. And then you're going to do even greater things than that. Now, if I were to ask you right now and say, hey, what are some, what are some great things that, that, that Jesus has done? We make a list. Well, I mean, water into wine, that was pretty cool. He fed several thousand people from, a, from, a, from, from this one kid's lunch. That was, that, was, that was pretty cool. That was really cool. Um, he raised at least one part, a couple of people, or a couple of people from the dead. That's pretty cool. Those are, those are great things. Those are great things. And then he says to his disciples, and you're going to do greater things than that. I don't know about you. Like, if we're going to make a list, right? Okay, 
Jesus did great things. You're going to do greater things. He raised the dude from the dead. Like, like what's next level from that? I mean, he raised someone from the dead. There is no next level from that. And if you look in the book of Acts, you'll see that the, the disciples, they did a lot of the same things that Jesus did. They, they, they did a lot of these great works. But I wouldn't say that there's anything that the disciples did in that regard that was greater than what Jesus did. And so I think when we look at this, and Jesus is saying, if you'll look at the things that I do, you'll look at my works, you'll recognize, you'll recognize kind of the hand, the touch, the, the character, the, the person of God in what I do. What if he's not talking about the miracles? What if when Jesus is talking about the great things that he's done and the things that they should look at and see, and when they see it, they see God, what if, what if he's not talking about miracles? What if he's not talking about that at all? Because I don't know if, how much you've read about Jesus, how many times you've kind of read the Gospels. Um, but Jesus is always very reluctant about miracles. And he never seems to be really excited about doing them. And it really, it really upsets him when like people, they only believe in him because of the miracles. Do you believe because I did a miracle? That's, that's, no, don't, don't do that. And people would ask, hey, will you do this miracle? He's like, I'm not going to do a miracle. Wicked people want miracles. And, and, he's, and he says he's going to say this to Thomas after the resurrection. He's like, let me see, let me see your hands where they, come, where they stabbed you, and then, and then I'll believe. He's like, you're going to believe because you see because you see things because of miracles? That's, no. That's, that's not what Jesus wants. And so it, it would be really surprising and a little bit out of character for Jesus when he first, to the great things that he's done, for him to be referring to miracles. Well, what, well then what would it be? What would the great things that he does that would be evidence in his mind that, he, that he's God? I ask you this question: How do how, when when people come up to you, and they're talking about your kids, one of your kids, and they say, "Oh, I, I, that one, that one's just like you." What do, what do they typically mean? They have the same job as you. They do the same things as you. No, it's it's the little it's a little it's a little quirky things, right? It's a little quirky things. Some of you have had the fortunate ability to interact with some of my kids at varying ages. There, I have three daughters. They're 24, 21, and 10 now. But if you've interacted with any of them kind of in that, I don't know, 9, nine to 12 range, like, oh, let's go back to like 6 to 10, kind of in there, like, like where Layla is now. You interact with her and you're like, that's Lofton's kid, definitely. And it's not because you've ever heard her give a sermon, right? Oh, she preaches. She didn't preach. She, that she, she does it in that sense. Uh, what is it? It's, it's the smart mouth, right? It's like she, she just, like, I thought I was normal with a kid, and then she said something smart to me, and she kind of cut me a little bit. I mean, it was like, it's, it's the attitude, it's the, it's the sauce, it's the spice, right? It's just like, you just, she reflects us. People say this all the time about, a, you know, you, you, it's a lofted, right? Just the, little, the, 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 the wit, the, the humor, the, the sarcasm, all those kinds of things. It's the things like, that's just, that's just who they are. I think more than the miracles, 
what Jesus is talking about is how who and what he did reflected the very character of God. The compassion that he showed to the hurting, to the helpless, the way that he and everything that he did and the way that he loved and the way that he served, he represented perfectly the character and nature of God. And God is a God who shows compassion. He's a God that loves. He's a God that shows mercy. He is a God who is wanting to reconcile the world to him. And the greatest work that Jesus did in that regard, obviously, is his sacrifice. He is reconciling. It was a statement about reconciling and bringing the world to him. And he says, listen, and what you guys are going to be able to do and experience is even greater and I think, again, this comes back to that when Jesus died, there were like 70 of them. And I think in that very first day in Acts chapter 2, kind of when the church got its official start, it's, it's called the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches this really cool sermon, and in that moment, 3,000 people give their heart and their life to Jesus. And we see over and over again, same, I think in that day, this was fulfilled because they had an opportunity to do what Jesus was doing, which is reconciling people to God. And that is the greatest thing that they could do. And then bringing, bringing, him, bringing people to him, showing mercy and compassion to a broken and hurting world. Those were the great things that Jesus did. And we have the ability, he says, you, have, you, you, can, you can do the same thing. And in fact, when you do it, it will be even greater. We have the opportunity to, in the same way, reflect the compassion and the love and this ministry of reconciliation to the world. And so to see Jesus, you're seeing God. He is fully, he is the same as God. And again, the evidence that he's giving, he's like, hey, I say the things that God says. I am truth. When I speak, it's God speaking. When you see what I do, not just simply the miracles, but the compassion, the mercy, the sacrifice, the reconciliation, you are experiencing the very character of God. You, when you see it, when you see these things, when you hear these things, when you experience them, you are experiencing God. And then he ends it by saying this. You know, and you're going to do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And in verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So to see Jesus is to see God because he says what God says. He does what God does. And then at the end, he says this, that he offers, he offers this power. He offers it to us. Now I know what some of you are thinking. We're kind of ending this here with this passage where he says, basically, you can ask me for anything and I will give it to you. I don't know if you have an internal clock. I don't know if you have an internal clock. But probably for those of you who do, you got an internal clock going off. It's like, we're probably about a minute or two away from piano guy coming out. <laughs> right? Piano guy's about to come out. The lot's going to go down. Charlie's going to change his rhythm. And he, and you, you saving this for the end, bro? That's like the best part. 
This is like the best part. He's like, and, and he says here, and he said, what, what is it? that we can ask him for anything and he will do it? Now, part of this is just a little, we're kind of we're teasing here a little bit. These, these sermons continue to build on each other. And Jesus has a lot more to say on this idea. And so I encourage you to keep coming back because we're gonna, it's going to help us understand. But there's a reason why this is just kind of a footnote at the end of a very significant passage and teaching about who Jesus actually is. Because if we just started there and hung out there, and here's what Jesus said. And Jesus says, you ask for anything in his name, and he'll give it to you. And then what happens? What is the result of that? we got a lot of idiots out there asking for a billion dollars, going to get scratchers. I'm going to get me a scratcher, and before I get my scratcher, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. And I tell you, I don't know how many lottery winners we would have if that's what this passage means. Right? Oh, the, the mega jackpot's up to $300 million. Oh, Jesus, in your name, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pick Bible verse, my favorite Bible verse numbers, or whatever crazy Christian superstition that you have where you think you can put God on a string and get whatever you want. Right? But what does he say? He says, whatever you ask for in my name, I will give it to you. Well, the reason why this is just a footnote because it is very important at first for, to understand who, 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 what's this name? What name? Who, who are we talking about? I'm going to ask for this in Jesus' name. Who is Jesus? Who is he? What's he about? What does he do? What does he say? What is his character? What is his nature? What is his essence? Well, he's the same as God the Father. And these are the things that he says. And these are the things that he does. And not one time did Jesus ask for a billion dollars. He never once asked for money. He never once asked for great influence, power. He never asked for his enemies to be smited. These are not the things that he asked for. So when I ask for things in his name, they're, they're in his name. The things that, that he would say, the things that he would want, the things that honor the name. So again, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about this in the coming weeks. But just as we're kind of putting our process around, somewhere between I've got, I've, I've got, I've got this genie who's going to grant me wishes and this wishy-washy thing that too many Christians say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do anyway and prayer doesn't really matter. Somewhere in a, between those two is an incredible sweet spot of this Jesus who when we see him, when we encounter him, we are encountering God. Who speaks what God speaks. Who does what God does. He is offering us all that he is. All the power and authority that he has. He is giving that to us. That if we live a life connected to him, we will experience more than we could possibly Imagine. But it begins with us having a full and complete understanding of who he is. I recognize that, I, that this Jesus that I worship, he is God. And he reflects the very character of God. 
and I want to know him and I want to worship the real him. Not a shadow, not a distortion, not 30%, not an image, not a reflection, but the real Jesus, the fully God Jesus who is offering himself as a sacrifice to us and then his power that we might live life with him. Let's pray.